0: The G7 wants climate-related reports from American corporations on their financial disclosures. So what would that look like and where does that authority come from? Jacob Hupart from the Mintz Law Firm joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. We've got an interesting show for you today, but first we need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, Noda. Noda is powered by m Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny visit trustnota.com forward slash legal or more and that's notice spelled n-o-t-a and remember terms and conditions may apply okay let's say hello to our guest jacob hupart from the law firm of mints levin cone ferris glavsky and Popeo. welcome to the show thank you for having me good to be here D- did i get all the names of the partners right you did uh <laughs> <laughs> Ch- and,
1: I, and we'll make sure Chairman Popio knows that his name was pronounced correctly. So there we go.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So Well, well, Jacob, thank you so much for for joining us today. I read your article you wrote in the National Law Review, and it was titled, G7 Communique Emphasizes Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And it got me thinking about a lot. It got me thinking a lot about you know, sort of that international presence on uh, domestic shores and those sort of laws between treaties and whatnot. But uh, this G7 summit definitely got some news coverage. Of course, this was in Carbis Bay, uh, which is in Cornwall, UK. I've never been there, but I heard it's nice. No, I haven't heard of it at all. <laughs> and so anyway, I, uh, but I wanted to talk about this because I thought that was interesting that there could possibly be you know, a financial disclosure requirement coming from an international source that plays a part in uh, local stock trade. So before we get to that, Jacob, just to kind of build out the bona fides a little bit, what kind of work do you do at Mintz?
1: Sure. So I'm a general commercial litigator. I've been in practice for over a decade now, uh, do a lot of securities work, also class action litigation, white collar criminal defense, regulatory investigations, do a good amount of environmental work uh, and a lot in the energy sector and financial services.
0: Okay, excellent, excellent. And so, uh, just as a starting point here, as we get into our topic, you know, these uh, G7 summits, you know, what's the point of these meetings? You know, what are the kind of typical things that uh, this grouping of nations typically discuss? Sure. So, look, the G7 are US, UK,
1: France, Italy, Germany, Canada, Japan, sort of the biggest economies in the liberal democracy uh, end of the spectrum around the world. And these meetings happen. As you know, every so often, and they discuss items of common concern. So in this latest meeting in Cornwall, for instance, the main topic of conversation, as is the main topic of conversation among almost everyone today, was the COVID pandemic. And they were talking about restarting economies. There were also a lot of discussions about the system of international trade, concerns about making sure that corporations are subject to minimum taxation levels, targeting countries that are corporate tax havens. There was discussion about infrastructure investments, investment in Africa, probably a counter to China's Belt and Road Initiative, and a general consensus about promoting liberal democratic values. And of course, perhaps most importantly for our audience and for us today, there's a focus on environmental concerns.
0: Now, they laid out some sort of long-term goals there, sort of these general premises that they wanted to hit, you know, maybe the next like 10 to 30 years. So, you know, give us some of those bullet points. What were some of the long-term goals that, uh, that the G7 would like to accomplish? Sure. So they laid out certain
1: broad principles, which, let's be clear, have been tossed around in international settings since the Kyoto Protocol in the late 90s, if not before, reaffirmed in the Paris Climate Agreement. So there's the Limiting the rise in temperature to uh, approximately 1.5 degrees Celsius, getting to net zero in carbon emissions by 2050, uh, which probably is going to involve some sort of carbon capture uh, strategies. They talked about having collective emissions by 2030, using uh, 2010 as the baseline. Uh, There's also a focus on specific sectors, energy, transport. There was an interesting focus on biodiversity, which is... Somewhat novel, and again, most significantly from our perspective, there were comments concerning mandatory financial disclosures for corporations focused on climate change concerns.
0: Now, getting into those, these, these climate-related financial disclosures—is that was there like a was there a discussion about the structure, what kind of required information would need to be reported, uh, how far along do they get in that design process? Sure. So, look, G7
1: communiques are heavily negotiated and operated at a very high level. So the G7 communique itself is not getting into the nitty-gritty of what must be disclosed when. But what they did do is they gave a reference to the framework published by the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures. And It seems likely, based on the G7 communique, that they are interested in using this TCFD framework, TCFD being the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, as sort of the basis for country-specific financial disclosures promulgated through the normal regulatory channels. Which of course leads to the question of, okay, so what are the uh, regulations that the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures have put together? Again, the TCFD is not necessarily super specific, but it, it made recommendations structured around effectively four thematic areas. The first of these are metrics and targets. So this would be disclosure of the metrics used by organizations to assess climate risks, the disclosure of scope one, scope two, and potentially scope three GHG emissions. The second thematic area is risk management. So how an organization assesses and manages climate-related risks. So focusing on a description of an organization's processes for assessing and managing climate-related risks. The third thematic area is strategy. So how an organization is adapting to climate change. What are the risks they've identified over the short, medium, and long term? and how these risks have impacted the organization's strategy, business plan. And the fourth of these thematic areas is governance. So effectively, this is talking about a board's role or management oversight in how are they assessing and managing climate-related risks and opportunities, and what are the oversight mechanisms for making sure that these assessments are taking place. Now, the TCFD also offers certain supplemental guidance in particular sectors, um, for instance, energy, transportation. Don't know if it's worthwhile to get into all of those details uh, right here and now, but the TCFD framework is probably where to look if you're looking for specific recommendations based on what took place at the G7 meeting.
0: Now, if one nation, they're, they're real happy about all of these uh, potential reporting requirements at the G7 summit in Cornwall, and they decide later on they get home, their constituents are not happy, they're throwing tomatoes at them when they get home, and they decide not to comply with this, you know, is there a penalty for any of these G7 nations if they later decide, you know what, some of these financial uh, disclosures related to climate change just aren't going to work out for our corporations at home? Is there any penalty for a nation that decides to opt out?
1: Well, here's the issue. It's with international law. There often isn't a particular enforcement mechanism. Look, a country which decides not to abide by its commitments will probably face diplomatic opprobrium, may face penalties. This may come up in other negotiations. But if you're asking, is there an enforcement mechanism so that each country actually adopts these mandatory financial disclosures that the G7 is recommending? No, there isn't a enforcement mechanism directly related to this.
0: And one more quick follow up, um, you know, and I bring this up because uh, there is an inflation monster looming out there. You know, today people's paychecks are buying less. You know, the economy is still kind of starting to get jump started out of its uh, slumber through the COVID shutdowns. But this is a concern on everybody's map and, you know, corporations, even big ones, you know, were impacted by the shutdowns. And so my, my question is, was there discussion about compliance costs? You know, we, we comply with tax regulations and there's, you know, a slew of regulatory environments that all companies, you know, need to focus on. And, and compliance costs, you have to have, you know, a consultant come on. Maybe you have to have a full-time staff, you know, doing the bookkeeping to make sure everything lines up. So was there discussion about the compliance cost at the G7 Summit that you know of?
1: Based on the communique that was issued, based on the public reporting, there doesn't seem to have been an agreement in terms of compliance costs, whether there were conversations at the meeting among staffers. I I frankly don't have that information and can't opine on that, but there has not been anything public said about the compliance costs.
0: All right, well, let's turn the discussion over to the SEC's involvement here. Now, I know that the executive branch has some sway over the SEC, especially in terms- More than a little. Yeah, no, exactly. And I I said that sort of facetiously, but uh, explain that relationship, especially uh, as it pertains to the leadership at the SEC and the executive branch.
1: Sure. Look, the SEC has five commissioners who are appointed by the executive. Those commissioners set policy for the SEC. President Biden has- named uh, Chairman Gensler to lead the SEC. And based on his comments and the comments of Commissioner Lee, uh, one of the Democratic appointees who was acting chairman before Chairman Gensler took uh, control, it's clear that climate change related disclosures are a significant item and indeed a priority on the SEC's agenda. In fact, the SEC a couple of months ago, I want to say March or April, but don't quote me on that, issued a call for public comment on proposed uh, rules concerning uh, mandatory ESG disclosures, including climate change, and they published the comments um, actually a couple of weeks ago. And the SEC has also um, announced that we may be seeing proposed regulations as soon as October. Now. Proposed regulations doesn't mean, okay, these regulations are taking effect in October. There's going to be a period for comment. I'm sure these regulations will end up being challenged in the courts. But this is a priority for the SEC because of direction from the executive branch
0: and from the president. So bottom line you know the executive branch if it so chooses as is its purview to do here you know they can impose these uh these these financial reporting requirements on the SEC who will in turn pass those along to the corporations in their purview correct in broad terms, yes. A little more uh, devil in the details, but yes. No, I totally understood. I know it's very complicated. So let's talk about those corporations because not every corporation finds its way under SEC regulatory uh, controls. And so what what are the corporations that are inside and outside that umbrella as it would pertain to a regulation like this? We don't yet know the content
1: of the regulation. So it's a little difficult to speculate precisely sure. on who is this going to apply to and who's going to be out in the cold. For instance, You could see if there's a mandatory disclosure reporting requirement, which companies have to put in their 10K or 10Q reports, it's possible there could be exceptions based on the size of the company. Would not necessarily be surprising. And being able to say which companies this is necessarily going to apply to and not, it's a little hard in the absence of the actual regulation. But look, broadly speaking, any company which is looking to access the uh, capital markets In the United States is potentially within the regulatory ambit of the SEC, but the companies which are most directly focus the focus of the SEC are those who are publicly listed with shares on the exchanges.
0: Well, in theory if a corporation out there that is clearly within the uh, regulatory controls of the SEC decides hey you know what this these, la- these latest rounds of regulations for reporting are just a bridge too far we really cannot afford to do this we've had a tough year and we're trying to do the best we can to comply with everything else do they have any option to opt out
1: they can try probably the if you if you're trying to avoid these uh, requirements probably more straightforward is to challenge these requirements in court. Of course, if a corporation is looking to save money, as I know all too well, lawyers are expensive. But in order to know whether there's an opportunity to opt out of a particular regulation, we would need to see what the content of the regulations are. There are frequently exemptions in regulations. So the question is, could a company structure its operations in such a way so as to fall within one of the exemptions to the regulation. But look, fundamentally, if the SEC promulgates regulations, which apply to all companies that are traded on U.S.-based exchanges, a company will have to comply.
0: Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please recommend this show to a friend, a colleague, or even a stranger, because word of mouth advertising is very important. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at trustnota.com/legal. That's Nota, spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LT and audio crew for all their hard work. This has been Legal Talk today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody.